Hi, and welcome to The Theology Box, a podcast dedicated to seeing how God fits into the world we live in. We hope you enjoy your time with us today, where theology is the conversation. Hi, everybody. Thanks again for listening to The Theology Box. This is your host, William Carroll. And today I have... Dr. Allie Motor. Dr. Allie Motor. Um, I noticed on your website that you uh, got your degree at Claremont School of Theology. Is that... That's correct. And um, would you like to tell us a little bit about that? Well, I did a PhD in practical theology. And practical theology is a field uh, in Christian studies where we use all the resources from biblical studies and theological studies, and then we integrate it with robust research from the social sciences. So we're interested in asking questions about the lived experiences of people and using uh, the work of Christian theology, biblical studies, in order to understand what it means to be a human and how God created us uh, and what it is to live in the world. And then we also use the way that God reveals God's self to us through things like neuroscience and psychology and how do those other fields give us additional information from how God created things and how um, they help to explain the world that uh, that we're in and and how to cope with it and so my doctorate in practical theology uh, particularly my dissertation it focused on research-based practices of recovery for women who had survived domestic violence mm. So I work a lot in trauma studies and feminist theology and using neuropsychology to uh, put all those things into conversation with each other to help women recover from trauma. Nice. I, I, I think that um, now this is kind of a side point, but like so practical theology um, is would you say it kind of helps um, to understand what praxis is also? Is it a play on words almost or because it's apl- applied theology applied? Is that a fair I, I would say praxis is very important. Practical mm. theologians are always concerned with the lived experiences of people. Mm. And so uh, we might start with uh, what is a problem or uh, in society today or uh, a lived experience uh, in your local church where maybe uh, low-income people or people of certain ethnicities or single people are struggling to feel connected at church. And so some place where there is a lived experience that needs some question something addressed how are we going to change this to help people to flourish yeah and so oftentimes we'll start from that place of people's experiences and then we look to uh, scripture and say well what does God have to say about this through the Bible and we look at different theological resources to see what uh, over the course of 2,000 years of Christian history what have theologians been saying about this and we look for answers and and um and, and wisdom from those sources, but we're not satisfied. <laughs> we mm-hmm. love to do research in lots of areas, so we can use any area in the social sciences. Uh, so, of course, if we're addressing racism in the United States, we're going to have to look at history in the United States and to see the different areas of various ethnicities and racism racism against, say, uh, First Nations or uh uh, what Native Americans experienced mm. uh, in the United States or uh, black uh, slavery and things like that. 
And then we might look at, you know, if we're looking at the trauma of the experience of racism, uh, we would look at trauma theory and uh, psychology and say, how does uh, this experience of injustice, of racism malform us? And how can we be reformed um, after experiences of of trauma or the the racism, things like that? And then we put all of those areas into conversation with each other and say, how do they integrate? How do they work together? Um, And... Uh, ultimately those scripture is the primary source and the- mm. theology is primary so it actually in some ways is is connected to or is similar to the model that we use at Azusa Pacific University which is a Wesleyan holiness uh, denomination and uh, in my work as an adjunct professor of practical theology at Azusa Pacific University we also teach the Wesleyan quadrilateral which is mm-hmm. a model based I, I heard a little of, bit of the quadrilateral in that yeah yeah it's 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 similar there are a couple different versions of practical Mm -hmm. uh theology models but it is quite similar uh to the 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 version of the wesleyan quadrilateral uh, that albert Outler developed based off of wesley's work uh, and ministry which of course are scripture tradition reason and experience so for me as a practical theologian i those are a lot of what practical theologians do and the reason i just use the social sciences to add into whatever whatever yeah. work I'm doing. Well, and I mean, you know, the, the social sciences, you can trace back what has happened. I mean, okay, not necessarily the traditions of the church or something, but what has been traditionally happening as um, that are uh, like patterns of injustice in culture and society. It, it In a lot of ways, those things continue to propagate because it's built into the traditions that people have, right? So, um, yeah, I, I see a lot of good good uh, parallels with that I, I well I wanted to turn the conversation to your your particular work with um, social justice and in particular domestic violence um, studying so I studied um, very lightly like feminist theology and with Karen and the women in the Bible class here at APU so I've always had the knowledge that like God is gender neutral right um at least outside of the body or god is both male and female yeah yeah so well that's just what i mean humans I guess are created right. i think the term gender neutral has different connotations in western society maybe today. yeah <laughs> yeah well what i mean by that is well and maybe you could argue against this is that yeah they both come from it but like it's also i guess that is better it's not a neutered spirit it's a both there's a lot of how, how would you say that then like not gender neutral but both uh, well i literally talked taught on this this morning mm-hmm. <laughs> in class um uh so what when i'm when i'm teaching or talking about god god's gender <laughs> um i open up by a- by asking people to turn to their neighbor and ask uh, or, or pretend that the the person they're going to share with pretend that that person has been blind their whole life, and to describe to them the color blue, mm. and then you see people struggle <laughs> yes, yeah. to put that into words um, to try to capture something that is 
a sight that and a person a blind person that has never seen and will, will never see and it's very challenging and so people will use metaphors uh blue is like the ocean maybe they've been in the ocean or blue is a cold feeling or it makes you feel like this and so we'll use embodied experiences and emotions and things to try to put words around something that they can't ever see mm. and so as humans when we talk about god I mean, maybe we've seen God in our, our visions or dreams and things, but it's not quite the same as having actually encountered Jesus when God became incarnate mm. and the divine being and personhood of Jesus, right? We've probably not experienced God in that quite that way. And so as humans, though, everything we understand about God and perceive about God is still filtered through our human brain. And we have to try to put words to our understanding and our experiences of God. And it's a bit like describing a color to a person who's been blind their whole life. We have to put metaphors and analogies around it to try to communicate something that is true, but it's never going to be complete. Hmm. And so it's important to recognize that God is not male. Oftentimes, uh, throughout the history of the church, we have primarily discussed God in androcentric terms, terms that are primarily male. and that has a host of problems along with it but it's also sort of makes sense given that most of church leadership has been predominated by males and particularly mm-hmm. white eurocentric uh, males so it makes sense that you see yourself in scripture and you speak from that place uh however god describes god's self in female terms as yeah. well in yes. scripture uh god talks about uh wisdom personified in in uh, in the book of the Proverbs, and that is female language. There mm-hmm. are many female languages or uh, feminine um, terms for God in Scripture, as well as female imageries. So God is like a mother hen that gathers um, its, uh, you know, chicklets <laughs> towards <laughs> it. God uh, is described as having a womb and feeling deep grief or deep compassion for the Israelites. In many ways, God describes God's self uh, in female images in the Bible, and we've overlooked those or put them to the side in our kind of patriarchal societies, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is has been detrimental uh, in in a variety of ways. But at the core of it, you know, we go back to Genesis one uh, verse twenty seven when it says that God created humans in God's image, male and female. God created them, which automatically tells us that for sure God is not male. Mm-hmm. God is not male only. God would only, have to yeah. be male and female. But it's still sort of a human construct, right, to try to understand. Mm-hmm. Does God have genders? God both genders? We don't really have a way yeah, to I mean, comprehend and that, that. That's the difficult part <laughs> is that, like, once you start really looking at it, like, well, God is male or God is female, is that you have to really start imagining God with, like, sexual reproductive organs. And that gets a little weird, right? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it is interesting that throughout Scripture there are uh, m- more, you know, it's more than one instance where God talks about the womb, even like the, to be nurtured at God's breasts, mm-hmm. right? And it's like that's pretty powerful language. And then, But then, like, that's really weird if it's coming from our, you know, our father only, right? Like there's a mother side to God um, just as much as the, the human anatomy on the majority is um male and female as we 
commonly understand it. Although there are people that are born with both um, sexes and, as sexual reproductive organs, although one's more dominant than the other usually. Um, so, yeah, it gets really weird when you try to just say like, well, you know, God is, you know, father and that's authoritative when really even as we're growing up, we have mothers and that uh, not every household has mothers or fathers, you know, both parents, but the, the, the authority that comes from parenting seems to me, and I'm outside of it because I've never been a parent, but I had parent, a parent. I, I lived with my mom growing up and my dad off and on, is that the, the authority that comes from it is recognizing that they're protecting you, that they're guiding you, instructing you, teaching you things, and providing for you, right? That's regardless of gender. Well, it's actually quite tied to gender, according to psychological research. And so there's actual research, which I find personally interesting, about attachment styles between uh, infants and children and adolescents and their parents. And the, there's different attachment to different parents, father versus mother, and how that correlates with our attachment style to God and God as an attachment parent. So attachment theory, very basically, <laughs> is ba that every person is born needing a, a caregiver that will nurture them and respond um, well to their needs and to their wants. And so, of course, as an infant that's responding to their cries and picking them up and hugging them and comforting them or changing the diapers or feeding them or playing with them. And then, of course, their needs and things expand as mm. you get older. And how our caregivers, how our parents, and that that could be a grandparent that comes and lives in the home, an older sibling. Sometimes it's one parent, as in your experience. Uh, sometimes it's both a mother and father. Um, but especially the primary caregiver, the person that spends the most time uh, caring for the infant and the child, forms very early on this attachment style based on... Uh, how the parent or the caregiver responds to the child. So if sometimes they respond, uh, you know, well and say, okay, I'm going to change the diaper and give you a hug. And then other times they ignore the child that is crying and says, ugh, I can't deal with this right now. I'm just going to leave you in the crib for an hour until I can um have the patience to deal with this uh that communicates to the child or the child the infant even will respond to that and internalize that as they don't care for me uh, or sometimes they do and sometimes they don't and so that can lead to what's called disorganized uh, attachment style and then there's this research that says how we develop those attachment styles to our father and mother corresponds to our sense of attachment our sense of closeness and to god and so of course since the church has oftentimes referred to God in male-only terms, God as father, our attachment style to our father is highly correlated to our attachment style with God, mm. the father. And so if we had a totally absent father or a very absent father, we might have a very distant attachment style to God. We might, we're very likely to perceive God as distant, uncaring, unloving, unavailable. Uh, Conversely, if we had a very present, loving father that attended to our needs and played with us and provided for us and kept us safe, we're much more likely to perceive that God is like that as well. Does that translate that. into the single mother home if the mom has those two differing styles or is there a difference there? I think that... Um, it's. It, I think it's a lot related to the gendered parent. And so... Mm. Um, 
depending on, of course, uh, to some extent, the if the if the mother if there was a single mother home and she communicates about God and like directly has conversations or maybe is taking you to church or reading Bible stories and and how really helping to nurture that relationship with God that can certainly help. Um, but then again, that that's going to also be based out of a strong, secure attachment style to the mother. But they're still going to know. My father was not absent. Yeah, and they're going to probably with feel the patriarchal language in the church, always assigning. Yeah, they're going to look to the father and, right. subconsciously, mm-hmm. unconsciously, yeah. often, um, and so in the single mother home, the father we're assuming in some ways, anyways, is absent, and that could be from death. You know, the father sure. died. That can be they're in the military and they're away for long periods of time mm-hmm. um, to a father that couldn't deal with it and left you know for lots of reasons but a child will internalize that as I wasn't lovable I wasn't worth sticking around um uh and um my father's absent does not provide for me does not protect me and they'll tend to put that onto God because we at least in some ways mostly speak about God as father God as male and mm-hmm. so our interaction with males and 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 particularly father figures directly um, and highly correlates to our understanding or experience of God. How how do you feel like the church can move into a, a more gender inclusive, I, I guess is a good term, uh, concept of God? Um, how do we, because I do think that people are still a little apprehensive about God the mother and there are some weird cultic things <laughs> like there's a Korean church that's like God the mother I don't know if you've heard of the mother church it's it's not it's 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 a little off so but um but there's a there's a like I think a scriptural sound uh, way to speak of the motherness of God the the motherhood of God so one of the things that practical theologians uh, always do is uh, or that's a high priority for this field of study and praxis and pastoral ministry is to consider our own social location. So the different layers uh, intersecting of society that form our own identity, especially as a researcher or as a pastor or as a leader. How is myself? I am a Caucasian, somewhat middle class (laughs) uh, Canadian uh, woman. I'm a survivor of domestic abuse and sexual abuse. I have... uh, come from a low-income family with no education uh, for my parents have no education past uh, high school uh, but I myself have a doctorate uh, I have traveled and worked all over the world almost 40 countries uh, I speak a few different languages so in different ways I have some places of power and privilege and I have some spaces of disadvantage or marginalization or even abuse and so those things help form my identity and the way I read the Bible and interpret it and the way I interpret or exegete a congregation or other people in society here or around the world. And so it's important for me as a practical theologian to recognize that how I'm interacting with the world, how I experience it, and how I look to address these problems or challenges or opportunities of people's lived experiences 
is going to be influenced by my social location. So I want to be careful um, that I don't just say, well, because I am a woman or just from my own thoughts and my own experience, I'm a woman and I'm a survivor of domestic abuse. And since the vast majority of violence committed in the world and especially against women is perpetuated by men, Mm. you know, my work is a lot around trauma theory and uh, how to help uh, women recover from sexual and domestic abuse. And it's almost always perpetuated by men. So uh, sometimes people think, oh, well, do you hate men or do you just want to throw... (laughs) <laughs> you know, God out or God the Father out and just talk about God in terms of women. I think we also want to recognize uh, the location of where we're speaking into as we're trying to work together with others and coming up with solutions or how do we move, help move things or take that next faithful step towards well-being or flourishing for mm. others. So in my context of working with women and often Christian women who have survived sexual or domestic abuse, in some spaces, it might be helpful to, to, to image God as female. But there's lots of places in the world that are very different, that are still in deeply embedded patriarchal systems that are oppressive to women. And so mm-hmm. we can't, as Christians, uh, go in and say, okay, um, Sudan or the Congo mm-hmm. or lots of places, enough with, you know, look around you. All of these men have perpetuated this violence that is destroying uh your nation even uh so we need to stop calling god male because clearly that is (laughs) Mm. not working and that's going to be harmful for all these women that have suffered at the hands of men society is not going to be able to accept that i'm not sure even in our western society here we're in los angeles even in all the i can't think of a better word than liberal (laughs) but lots of different diversifying liberal diverse yeah, culture. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, ways of I talking think, about I think, sexuality. I think Californians recognize that there were. This is a liberal culture. Even the conservative culture of California is liberal. <laughs> sure, I'm just wary as a someone from Canada, from the Commonwealth, around the world. There's lots of places that are not two parties political systems, mm, and yeah. those terms liberal and conservative in America are kind of um, uh, yeah. Fric- meshed fric- <laughs> with yeah, the political yeah. system. So right, I'm not, right. not trying to and there's be a lot bipolar of friction between those yes, two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. about those things. Um, but to say in the particular context that we're in or applying these things to, what is the, what is most helpful? And so I'm not convinced that suddenly speaking about God saying her and she is necessarily the most helpful in lots of context. I'm in, in some places it might be, but I think it can also be very confusing. Again, it's God being female or God being male isn't who God is, but we are human and we've got to try to put these constructs together. And so I think it is though important and maybe especially important for Christians to realize, you know, sometimes when we talk about um, God as female, people go, oh, feminist theology, don't want any part of that. And just like anything else in the world, including theology or politics or all kinds of uh, fields or experiences, there are different ways to practice or to live out being political or being a leader or being a theologian or a feminist theologian. But at its heart and the root of what feminist theology is, is simply theology developed and written by women from Mm -hmm. the voice and the experiences of women. Mm -hmm. It's not trying to be over and above male. It's to say, actually, women have a voice too. We're actually the majority on the planet. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And we read and interpret the Bible from our lens as females Mm -hmm. and also from our lived experience in female bodies. And part of that, unfortunately, a big part, one in three women in the world 
and in the United States experience dating or domestic violence in their lifetime. It is statistically the most common issue of injustice in our American society, hmm. as well as Canada, the United Kingdom, and most Western countries. I would think, and around the world, probably around the world. Yeah. yeah. So, this is what this is who is in the congregation. This is who's in our universities. This is who's on this on the street, homeless. But it's also people who are wealthy. It, the commonality is being female, and unfortunately, violence perpetuated by men. So there is a case to be said that reclaiming some of the biblical female language and the biblical female imagery and f- and theology that empowers and speaks to the experiences of women is very helpful for helping women and girls to recover from their experiences of male perpetrated violence as well as to help cultivate the church as a safe place for women and for trauma survivors you don't have to be female to go through domestic abuse or dating violence or any kind of trauma um and what you kind of get into in that article you're not talking about how you don't have to be female but um that like the like domestic violence and its occurrence is um, you. You can, I, I, if I understood it correctly, is that like you're through like understanding the salvation story better and removing like that dynamic of God, the Father punishing Jesus or um, those those dynamics. Like by removing that and uh, having a better understanding of God's suffering with. Jesus mm-hmm. and the Holy Spirit, the Trinitarian suffering of God yeah. and the crucifixion. I thought it was really interesting. It was, I think, towards the end of the article. And um, yeah, um, if, yeah. can you elaborate on that idea? I don't know if you were going there, but it's what yeah, remi- that is it what, reminded uh, that me that of. That is, well, yeah. that is quite correct. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. one of the things um, that I do and many other <laughs> women do in feminist theology and I'm going to use I'm using that term broadly feminist Mm. theology was originally developed really by white Euro American woman Um, partly as a response to saying hmm most of theology over the centuries have been developed by Eurocentric you know kind of white males and it really doesn't make sense to the experience of women and girls suffering and realities in life and it's uh, and so kind of mostly white women white middle-class educated women started to write theology and that became feminist theology and now we have womanist theology black american women's theology african women's theology can, can asian you, what's all different what kinds. exactly is womanist i i, I didn't understand that because i yeah i so didn't see the differentiation womanist theology kind of came as a response to the feminist theology the creation of feminist theology in the united states so women like rosemary radford rather she's uh wonderful uh, white <laughs> woman in the United States, actually very near to us in Claremont. Uh, oh, cool. uh, very prominent feminist theologian. So she started to write about these things, like actually the Bible does speak about God using um, as well feminine language and female imagery and, and what does this mean for the church and for women. Uh, and then uh, in response to some of the things that various f- white feminist theologians were saying black American women started to develop theology mm-hmm. and publish it and so that's called womanist theology oh, okay. it's specific to black American women so for example uh, 
you know, uh, an issue, a lived experience maybe that feminist theologians, white feminist theologians would talk about is, should I work and pursue a vocational calling outside of the home or should I stay home with my children and nurture them, you know, in their early childhood years before they go to school? Should I sacrifice my career for some time in order to take care of uh, children in the home? Because that seems ideal. And some black women in the United States started saying, well, okay, that's not necessarily a question mm. in black women's experience in the United States. Right. Uh, born out of slavery <laughs> uh, in the United States, black women were required to work the land and to take care of their own children and to take care yeah, well, of the yeah. white slaveholders' children as well. So we have been in situations of economic uh, disadvantage and poverty and still are in many ways. And so we're not asking the question, should I stay home? That's a luxury question to right. say, can, yeah. well, can yeah. I give up this extra money and stay home with their children? That's a luxury that many black women in the United States do not have. And so we're that just doesn't speak to us as women. You know, white women were kind of saying in some ways, well, that, now we're doing theology from women's perspective. And black women were saying that is a white woman's perspective. As a black woman, I have to work. We Many black women work outside of the home and try to take care of the children and do all of the things as well uh, for a variety of, of different reasons, um, often out of uh, fiscal need and things as well. And so we're asking questions that are different. Our lived experience is different than white women. So womanist theology became a field of study that is particular to black women in the United States. Some people interpret that a bit differently. It can be black women in Europe or other places. Um, but how racism uh, and the experience of being in a black body is in the United States is quite different than to other countries. Sure. And then, of course, you have African women's theology uh, and uh, and then Asian women's theology, which is very broad because Asia is a huge, huge continent with lots of people and lots right. of different ethnicities, yeah. but we still just call it Asian women's theology. Um, and then you have... Uh, the mujeres. Yeah, mihrista. Forgive my Canadian accent. <laughs> um, there uh, and, and Latin women's theology. So mm. women, women that are of Latin ethnicity in the United States versus women in Latin America, mm. developing theology from their different lived experiences. And so, broadly, we can say uh, that amongst all of women's experiences in the world, there are are elements of suffering and of vulnerability and of oppression. I don't know of a place where women really have equality. There's no equality in terms of economic pay here in the West, and certainly there isn't in developing nations or the majority world. But of course, how we experience oppression or abuse or places of flourishing and well-being and how we do parent or family um, uh, together as a village versus on our own, often independent in Western society, is different based on our social location and our geography. And right. so, so there's also a term called feminist theologies and I'm using that phrase to broadly include the voices of women from all different backgrounds around the world although I speak as a white Canadian woman mm. uh, and so from from this framework what women are doing in theology is recognizing and calling to the church to remember that the Bible does use uh, some female language for God such as uh, in 
the Old Testament, the phrase El Shaddai, which is used for God, uh, is a Hebrew, often translated as God Almighty, but its linguistic roots actually suggest that it means the breasted God, like, so mm-hmm. God as mother, the breasted God that, that the church feeds on, the breasted God, like the Eucharist, mm-hmm. is a very female imagery that we are feeding on the body and blood, the nutrients of Christ's body. Mm-hmm. Um, there together that nourishes us just as a, a mother uh, would breastfeed a child mm. if she has that ability. God is, often talks about in scripture, uh, especially in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word uh, uh, for compassion. And also when God is lamenting for God's people is really um, the concept of the womb, of uh, God lamenting or having compassion for God's people based on this womb um, uh, heart embodied emotion that God created got us like as yeah. a woman mm-hmm. um, in God's womb and then gave birth to us uh, and nurtures us through the body of Christ empowered by the Holy Spirit but then suffers with us like you said uh, that Uh, what feminist theologies do sometimes is also look to the cross and say uh, actually who it's important it's really quite important to to recognize who killed Jesus is this God's best idea is this God's best plan for the earth uh, or and for the redemption of creation and for humans that that Jesus die or is it actually the natural human response sinful response perhaps we could propose mm. of humans responding to Jesus saying I am the long awaited Messiah all throughout the Old Testament right there's hundreds of prophecies about the coming Messiah the, and Jesus says I am the fulfillment of that, those prophecies all yeah. those prophecies I am the king of the Jews I am the Messiah oh of course if some dude walked in today <laughs> in our society and said the same thing we would like yeah, yeah. Well, here's where the homeless shelter is <laughs> you know or i'm gonna drive you to the hospital and they get checked yeah. in yeah. right we would probably reject that right. too sure. as did many of the jews right and this angered the jews the rabbinic leaders and the political leaders because he started to get quite a good following mm-hmm. and so both political and religious leaders of the day kind of rejected jesus because he was taking it, they perceived it as Jesus taking power away from them in their spheres of power right. over people, although Jesus uses power very differently. Um, and and so in their response to feeling threatened by Jesus establishing the kingdom of God on earth, saying that he is God incarnate and, and leading the people to really turn things upside down in, in some ways about how equality, um, women in leadership, all different kinds of issues, who to serve, um, you know the coin money <laughs> the the religious leaders or god or both are you know it's complex what jesus is doing but it was not perceived well because he was taking power away uh, mm-hmm. from the rabbinic and the religious and the political leaders of the day and so one a way that many theologians over time and many feminist theologians today look at how Jesus ended up dying is not saying, well, this is God's best plan. God just can't think of a better way to save humans. Yeah. But actually, Jesus comes in and says, I am the king of the Jews. I'm establishing the kingdom of God on earth. And and the threat that that posed to the religious and political leaders, it's actually humans that say, we don't want that. 
just right. like first centuries in the Old Testament, the Israelites say, no, we don't want God to be our king and just to communicate with God. We want fit, uh, an earthly king. Mm-hmm. which God said that's not me, what's best for you, let right? Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Um, th- th- this this model, I really like this idea, um, mainly because um, there, people ask, the, like a lot of people, like atheists mainly, um, it's more of a, not like a retort or a challenge against like, well, what's the point of a guy dying on a cross, right? Like how does that save me? What is like Jesus... Jesus's blood and the atonement if I did something wrong then him dying for it doesn't help me right like I I have to own up to it I have to do something to you know uh, make make amends or or whatever Mm -hmm. right like his his death is inconsequential right like to that who I am in this moment right but um, it seems that this kind of uh, approach of understanding, like, I like the way you asked, um, like, is this God's best plan, right? Like, because he has to kill Jesus to sacrifice yeah. him, to get the blood flowing, so that way everyone's saved. But it's more it's more about us not being able to comprehend or handle exactly and what he's doing. And, and rejecting God's re- leadership yeah. through Christ. Yeah. And saying, I don't want that. Just like the Israelites rejected God a lot yeah. in the Old Testament. Well, and then I think your article <laughs> mentions that, like, the, the, the grace and salvation is in that he suffers, but returns right and yeah, there's some mention it is that. not good news if jesus dies on the cross and that's the end of the story yeah that is not good news <laughs> right, uh, right. and and sometimes we get so caught up overly caught up in christ's death on the cross the crucifixion that we forget the resurrection and the ascension the ascension is also very important because that after that is jesus says i have to leave i have to ascend and go be with rest of God so that the Holy Spirit will be with you Mm. it would be really ineffective if Jesus had stayed on a human even if he was still alive today because he couldn't get all the places right Right. so the Holy Spirit comes in such a way that is manifest to all people but when talking about the crucifixion what we're talking about is atonement theory right Mm -hmm. and what many Christians don't seem to know is that there is no one theory of uh, in historical orthodox Christianity, there are at least five major atonement models or theories. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not wildly different. They talk about sanctification and God paying a price, penalties, substitution. They use these different terms. Um but they're all, again, kind of like I said about having to describe the color blue to a person who's been blind their whole life. Mm. We have to do our best to try to understand these mysteries of God. Right. Uh, it is, I propose, not possible for any human to understand what Jesus does on the cross or in ascending to hell and overcoming it. What exactly does Jesus' blood do for us in saving us? Mm. It is beyond human comprehension if anyone says they have it figured out (laughs) fully (laughs) (laughs) i recently heard uh, another fellow practical theologian here at apu said you're either a fool (laughs) or you are just ignorant (laughs) probably just you can't you can't understand (laughs) this does but that's 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 sort of good news yeah we should not be able to pin god down (laughs) right right? and fully comprehend god otherwise god wouldn't be god Mm -hmm. so it doesn't mean we can't say anything we're doing sure. our best to try to sure. understand. So we try to describe blue to a blind person. Mm-hmm. And we try to describe what Jesus' blood does. And so we have these different atonement theories that help us. But it, 
but we but often that places the responsibility that this was God's best plan I think on God whereas feminist theologians some of us would say actually that that was maybe that was humans response God maybe foreknew that this was what humans were going to choose mm-hmm. and went and worked along well, with I would it probably argue with that I'm an right but I mean I'm sure he calculated it lit- I'm sure, in I'm a literal sense sure if you want to read the Bible literally because Psalm 20 <laughs> Two or I always forget if it's twenty two or twenty three shows that he did calculate it. Okay, sorry. Well, my well, open theism pitch. What we know for <laughs> sure, short. if you believe the Bible is an ancient piece of history, which many in the historical would, would, mm-hmm. world world would, is that it was humans that. Yeah. Um, yes. It was the Jewish leaders and the Roman uh, Jewish rabbinic leaders and the Roman political leaders of the day that held Jesus on trial, t- found him guilty with. And then crucified and tortured him and crucified him. Humans did that. And one way of understanding that, as some feminist theologians and others, liberation theologians and others mm-hmm. would, is yeah. to say that's not God's best plan. That's humans' response to God coming in grace to say, here, I'm actually here to show you an intangible, embodied way through the whole life of Christ growing up as well as his three years of ministry and his death and resurrection and ascension what it is to be god and to be made in the image of god and to cultivate the kingdom of god on earth Mm -hmm. and as those of us as disciples of christ followers of of christ are trying to live that out on the earth and we try to do good things and we try to follow god's will we encounter persecution we encounter oppression we encounter people pushing back or financial challenges as we try to get ministries or things to help the poor or help racial reconciliation it's not easy and a lot of that not easiness is other humans right (laughs) that are pushing against power dynamics struggles Yeah. yeah that's that's really i mean I, I always liked when I think of war on the grand scale, it's really it started from two people arguing a long time ago. That's kind of how I think when you reduce it down, what nations are doing uh, to each other, it's because these, you know, two people disagree. And so the families separate like Abraham and Lot. Uh, um, and then, you know, eventually the ideologies change so much that it's a group of people, but it's still just people mm-hmm. that just disagree with each other. And that that little war. I think there's a, there's this film called Nakoi Katsi. I don't know if you're familiar with no. the Katsi trilogy. It's really good. It's um, it, people don't like it. Okay, <laughs> people like Koyanis Katsi. It has really good reviews. Uh, it's Philip Glass and Godfrey Reggio. Uh, Godfrey Reggio directed it, and it's just images of life. And Nakoi Katsi, um, the translation of that word means life is war, and you have like just like the dynamics of even conversation is that we're we're always locked in a battle for time and to share and so i don't know it's a really intense film um but yeah there's it's it's a great idea to think and and realize really is what more what i mean that that god is is killed through the violence of people that rejecting to, God yeah and they want to hold their power and so it's a rejection they want to hold on to their power, power. Yeah. even though Jesus comes underneath that power to yeah. serve and empower people they yeah. want to continue to hold power and, and over that's people a question. so that's a question I have for you as we um, we're probably a little long but that's a, no we're fine these shows always end up being about an hour anyway but I do want to say that okay it if if we say that it was humans plan humans response to God not God killing God on the cross it, it's 
it does not mean that the cross is not important. The right. whole yeah, life of, of Christ is important, and the cross is part of that. And you, wherever the, wherever one part of the Trinity is, all three are present. You cannot separate the Trinity. Right. Just like in the beginning when God created the earth, the Holy Spirit is hovering over the waters. Mm. Jesus, the Logos, is there, even though Jesus and human form doesn't come until the New Testament right. centuries ago. All of the Trinity are always present. It's this weird, magical mystery. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah, yeah. Three <laughs> persons in one. So when yeah. Jesus dies on the cross, it's also God and the Holy Spirit present in there mm-hmm. in some way we also can't comprehend. But what feminist theologians might do, or some of us, um, in holding the cross is to say that we know the consequence of injustice of sin, um, uh, of suffering is death. Whether you physically, I mean, we all physically die, but also when we experience abuse it mal- and trauma, it, it malforms us such that we have a decentered self. We can lose so much of ourself in experiences of trauma, of injustice, of abuse, that it's like losing your personhood. It feels like like dying. Right. Uh, and. And also there's lots of physical suffering and physical death as well. And in Jesus on the cross, taking that suffering in, in his body, embodying it in a similar way to how women do through childbirth and through violence perpetuated by men against women's bodies, which happens so frequently, as I said, mm-hmm. that Jesus knows deeply what the experience of women are and other trauma sufferers in the world. God is not separate. Unlike any other God, any other deity, any other world religion or spirituality, what when the one thing that separates Christianity so distinctly is that God in Jesus incarnate deeply embodies the experience of humanity. And unfortunately, a big part of that is suffering. Right. And Jesus does not run away from that or choose to escape it, even though he could. He, he takes that on. But then in death, overcomes it. So that ultimate consequence, you know, of our sin, of death, and the ultimate consequence of experiencing trauma or suffering um jesus overcomes and by jesus wounds we are healed ultimately one day (laughs) perfectly healed when we are reunited with jesus but in the comfort and the presence of jesus just as the bible talks about as god as a mother um being hid under the shadow of god's wings in in psalm 17 um, or finding refuge um in psalm 91 there's lots of different places where in in scripture where god uh is imaged as female especially in those mothering images um as we talked about before and i think the eucharist uh, in the body and blood of christ again is that mothering image uh that that ties together both the suffering of people's experience and especially women's and girls experiences but also the ability to create and to nurture and to give life mm-hmm. now christ that life is ultimately eternal yeah and and so that is something that's very unique to christianity and to the gift that god gives us in christ's death on the cross and overcoming it well and i think that raises uh other complications that we can consider <laughs> uh some other time um but uh, I just I appreciate so much you taking this time with me. It was really short notice, and um, uh, I did I did want to mention two things. Um, I had one more question, but I feel like you kind of answered it actually. So mm. it's a good thing. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe I'll just edit in me asking. <laughs> I'm just I won't um, one is um, I I've, there was something that uh, you mentioning 
describing God to the blind person, which was a while ago, but I really liked where you, where you were going and I liked where the conversation led, but it, uh, it came to my mind towards the end here. Cause I was like, wasn't there something? Uh, and, um, describing color to a blind person, there's actually a video, mm-hmm. uh, Tom, do, how, do you know Tommy Edison? I've heard of it. Yeah. He, he's, he's a blind guy on YouTube and he just, he lets people ask him the most audacious <laughs> questions and he tries to answer it. And yeah. uh, one of them is like, what, what does he think of, what do you, what does he think color is? And here's some people trying to explain it to him and his response to it. And he's like, yeah, I have no idea what that means. <laughs> <laughs> so it's awesome right. to watch. Yeah. But then, um, the other thing that I wanted to mention before we go is, um, and, and, and I'll, I'll let you have a closing thought as well, but I want to make sure that we do this is that, if you want to read more of Ali's work mm-hmm. and gain more insight into uh, the feminist theologies and these ideas that she's discussing, you can go to uh, AliMotor.com. That's A-L-L-Y-M-O-D-E-R.com. And uh, she's got a bunch of her writing up there as as well as, I think, uh, several other things, um, her, her bio and um, the Junia Project, which... Um, she contributes to as well as has more information on on these issues and anything else that you'd like to add yeah thank you at my website yeah you can see links on the writing tab to uh next month here march 2020 i have my first chapter in an edited volume coming out being published in the uk in a book called feminist and trauma theologies so i'm excited about that i've published a number of other articles as you said on the junior project and different Uh, journals around the world and popular websites so you can check that out on my website Uh, you can also find me on social media at the handle alley motor speaks and is that is that uh instagram twitter facebook Mm -hmm. or all of it yeah okay all of the above cool uh and if you have any questions for me uh, you can also reach out to me through my website i regularly speak at conferences and other places do you have a blog that you update i don't do a blog just the social media and the the publishes but i you know next month i'm speaking at biola's chapel on sexual abuse so if you have any questions about that or how to integrate christian theology and providing recovery um for uh people or mental health issues anything check me out i'm happy to chat with you cool all right well thanks again Allie. thanks for the opportunity sure <laughs> yeah thanks again everyone take care bye thanks again for listening to the theology box this has been your host william carroll uh, thanks again to our special guest dr ali motor please check out her website and thanks again to the theology box team with mark miller megan napier and richard liotto everyone have a great day and may the peace of the lord be with you